This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Our passage today is 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good morning, saints, and welcome all of you who are with us for the first time or those who have been here many, many times. We are working through the book of 1 Peter, one little bite at a time. And it's interesting, Peter starts this passage with the words, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. That's how Peter starts this section and it was believed by everyone then, including Peter, that Jesus was coming back in their generation. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter, the judge is standing at the door. When's he going to open it? Well, we don't know. But he's standing at the door. He's ready. <laughs> Paul wrote, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, hey, you guys will, should not be surprised when the Lord comes back. And he's coming back soon. Peter, James, and Paul, three pillars of the faith, right, believed Jesus would return soon. And it really has been believed by everyone since. Don't you think every generation since Jesus ascended believes that he's coming in there in our lifetime? And every generation of believers, at least in my, in my lifetime, cannot imagine the world getting any worse than it is now. Amen? And so we're saying, Lord, come quickly. He said, I will return soon in Revelation. And we say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And he, he said to his disciples when he was still on the earth, he said, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the Luke 12 passage. It's not up there. Luke 12, 40. So how are we then to live? Peter writes in his second letter, this is 2 Peter 3, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's talking about the destruction of the earth with fire, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? And that's the question that Peter begins to answer in his first letter. How would you and I live if we knew this was our last year? If you knew somehow that Jesus is coming back sometime between now and October 22nd of 2024, what would you do? Would you stop everything you're doing now and go preach on the streets? 
Would you double down and, and work as hard as you can and, and pile up as much cash as you possibly can? Would you just lock your doors and, and, and binge on food and drink and Netflix? What would you do? How would you live if you knew Jesus was coming back in the next year? What would you do? And that's what Peter's trying to address here with the elect exiles that he addresses in chapter 1. And I think the, the answer is found in Jesus' question to his disciples when he said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And you could say faithfulness there. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faithfulness? What will he find us doing when he returns? And that's what he said we're to do, be faithful. What does that look like? Well, Peter gives us four things to do that look like faithfulness to me to consider if the end of all things is indeed at hand. Let's look at these four in return. In, in turn. So number one, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled is a theme all through the New Testament. Paul talks about it with regards to younger men in Titus, and he talks about it with regard to older men in Titus, and, and, and self-control with those who will lead the church. And here he says self-control and sober-mindedness affect our prayers, and, a pra and our prayers affect our readiness to go through what is coming. Listen, whether Jesus is coming in our lifetime or not, we have gone through, we are going through, we will go through trials. Amen? Some are life-changing, some are just minor irritants. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, as Job said in his trial. So he's coming, and those trials are certain, and his presence with us. Two, two things we know in, 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 in life, right? We will have trials, and Jesus will be with us in those trials. He said, take heart, I'm with you. I've overcome the world, right? I'm greater than he who's in the world. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. But then he said to his disciples, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And then he says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake, he says. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Stay awake here doesn't mean you don't sleep. You know, that wouldn't last very long. It means that you live self-controlled and sober-minded lives by His grace. We're watching. We're expecting. We're living as if the Lord would come in our lifetime. In fact, He's going to come you know, in the next year. So we're living in this way, sober-minded, self-controlled. Well, that's number one. Then he says, above all, above all, keep loving one another. What do we do if the Lord's coming back in the next year? He said, we don't hide ourselves in our house. We don't, you know, become more, even more of a workaholic than maybe we already are. We love one another. Keep loving one another. The greatest thing we can do as we await Jesus' return is to love one another the way Christ loves us. The adverb he uses here in the Greek, earnestly, he says, keep loving one another earnestly. It literally means to, stretch, to be stretched out. It's continual. It's intense. It's enduring. You're, you're stretched out as, as, as much as you could possibly stretch in the way you love. 
And the same, this same word is used, I believe it's in Acts 12, where Peter and James had been arrested, right? Remember that? And what happened to James? He, he's arrested and they behead him. So the church is gathered in, 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 in a house and they are praying and it says they were praying earnestly. They were stretched out in prayer for their beloved apostle Peter and their friend that the same fate would not happen to him. So that's the idea here. I believe it is God's love that stretches our love <laughs> and allows us to love way beyond our capability, our capacity, our ability to do, to do it because, because we love because what? He first loved us. And so as we yield ourselves to that, if we lean into that, and I've seen it in this church and I see it every week in the way you love one another, then we're able to, to love in such a way that stretches us beyond our human capabilities. And, Paul, and Peter says, do that. As you know the time is near, love one another earnestly. And what does love do? He says it covers. It covers a multitude of sins. You know, a, a tree that's wounded has a scar on it, will produce new bark that will grow around that wound. And that isolates, it protects the wound from further exposure and further damage. And that's what God does for us. And, and even more, He takes our wounds away. But even more through His love and through His grace, His love covers and heals. David wrote in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And, and that's what Peter's saying here. Hey, God's forgiven us. He loves us. He's covered our sins. Let's love each other in the same way. Let's help each other heal from their sins, from their hurts, and our sins and our hurts by loving one another. Let's love people to health. Let's love them to health. You know, we don't love well if we delight in finding and exposing sins and faults. You know, love doesn't do that. Love covers not, not hide, not to cover up something. It's not covering up sin. It covers, it heals. It, 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 it's a balm of Gilead that we pour out when we love someone who is going through difficulty. D.L. Moody used to share a story years ago. He said, show me a church where there's love. He said, I'll show you a church that's a power in the community. He said in Chicago a few years ago, and this was in the 1800s, he said, a little boy attended a church I know of, and when his parents moved to another part of the city, that little fella still attended the same church. Although it meant a long, tiresome walk each way. And a friend asked him one day, he said, why are you going to that church? It's so far, and there's so many good churches between where you are and that church, why do you pass them by to go there? They're just as good. He said, well, they may be just as good for others, but not for me. And he said, why not? And the little boy said, because they love a fellow over there. They love a fellow. And Moody went on to say, if only we could make the world believe that we love them, there would be fewer empty churches and a smaller proportion of our population who never darken a church door. Let love replace duty in our church relationships, and the world will soon be evangelized. So Peter says, be sober-minded, be self-controlled, love one another. Love one another, take care of one another. Third, he says, we are to show hospitality without grumbling. And I would say hospitality is love, right? With open arms, open home. It's love that's stretched out, and we're called to it without the added grumbling. Peter says, do that without that, right? Do hospitality without moaning about it. 
And our homes, you know, as, as we think about hospitality, we think of our homes and we open up our homes, and that's natural. It comes to mind. We, our homes are great embassies. We are ambassadors for Christ, and, and our home is an embassy where we can invite people who are aliens to Christ, who are from a, another world because they have not yet met Christ, and we can invite them into this embassy where we as ambassadors can extol the virtues of our Savior and love people. And, you know, walls come down when you're sitting across the table from people and breaking bread together, and people open their hearts as, they, as you open yours to them. But Peter is mainly addressing believers here. He's saying, hey, show hospitality without grumbling to one another. Certainly we open our homes to the world, but we open our homes, our hearts, our arms, our love, our kindness to one another, Right? It's a, it's a mindset described in 15, uh, Romans 15, 7. It's a verse we spent some time on this summer, if you recall, where Peter sa- or Paul says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How has Christ welcomed you? With open arms, open heart, with love that is infinite. And our love can't be that, but it certainly can be powerful as we open our hearts to one another. Show hospitality for, on Sundays when we gather for worship. I like to be standing near the door when people come in that I haven't seen in a long time or I've never seen as as I met some new people today. Welcoming them to this place, this house of God. Welcome one another. Show hospitality to people in the hallways. Don't just pass by and grunt. Speak to someone. Look them in the eye. Ask them how they're doing. And wait for the answer, right? Wait for the answer because they may have something to share with you that you can encourage them in. Show hospitality on Wednesdays as we gather for discussion and prayer. Home groups are a great place for us to really get to know people on a smaller group basis. Be intimately involved in their lives through prayer, finding out how they're struggling, what they're dealing with, and then pray for them. That's hospitality. That's opening up our hearts and our lives to one another. Uh, in the week. And we can do that at other times too, in our homes, at a restaurant, at a walking track, wherever you can gather to build relationships with your brothers and sisters. You know, I like to ask a question. I shared this with the men's, men at the retreat last week, but I like to share a, uh, uh, ask a question to my students on the first day of class. I teach public speaking. And every survey since the 70s, the number one fear, man's and woman's greatest fear, number one is what? Public speaking, that's number one fear, comes in at about 42%. You know what the second greatest fear is? Death, 18%. Most people would rather die than give a speech, right? And I, and I joke about that, but then I say, I know some of you feel that way, but, but usually I'll say, what is the second greatest fear? And I'll listen for their answers, and people will say heights or snakes or the ocean. One guy said the ocean this week and, and last week. But one student, when I said, what, is, what do you think the second greatest fear is? He said, being forgotten. And he said it kind of like that. And I went, whoa. And everybody looked at me like, whoa, what's up with him? His name is Guy. And I said, hey, man, you're our guy. How could we forget you, right? And, you know, my intention is to get to know him. And my intention is to ask him to lunch and see if I can find out, why did you say that? I just want to ask him, why did you say that? And it may be nothing. It may be completely, you know, just a thing he said, but... Maybe not. Well, maybe I can in, get into his life in a way that goes beyond public speaking. So we go out of our way to make people feel seen and heard and cared for and loved. And fourth, he says, we are to serve one another. 
Yep, it's, it's, uh, there's a slide there somewhere. Jeff, help me out. Serve one another. The last thing P- Peter says we can do in the last days is to serve one another. And it seems like that would flow out of loving one another more earnestly, right? But Peter, Peter has a specific way that we're to serve one another. And he spends two verses on this one. I know he didn't write numbers. Verses weren't numbered. Okay, don't send me that email. I understand that. But he spent a lot more words on this, hello, than he did on the other ones, <laughs> right? He expounds on this. And he says, we are to serve one another with our spiritual gifts. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Peter, I mean, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or some translations say ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Don't be uninformed when it comes to spiritual gifts. They're important. And Peter says, yes, they are, Paul. I agree with you. He considered them important. Let's, let's, let's see how important they are, especially as we see the darkness growing and that day approaching. First, remember that Peter said, Peter said is writing to believers and to elect exiles. How many of them, how many of us have a charisma? How many of us have a gift of grace? That's what that word is, charisma there. Undeserved but powerful in its use for the church. How many do you think? I mean, you think it's like half? I think it's like 60%? That seems awful high. How many of us have a charisma? Look at the verse, guys. Verse 10. What does each mean? <laughs> That's right. Every single believer in Jesus Christ, on the moment, at the moment you are born again and the Spirit comes in and seals you for eternity. He comes bearing gifts. Every person has a spiritual gift. Are they talents that you can learn? No. They're gifts you're called to use and develop. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. These gifts are spiritual. They're not human. In other words, they, they, they come from the Holy Spirit. And we can grow in them, we can get better at using them, but they're not natural, they are spiritual. In fact, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, to each, again there's that word, each, to each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What does manifestation mean? When the Spirit manifests Himself, what happens? He shows up. The Spirit shows up in the working through and with your spiritual gifts. The Spirit's there. He's working in that. He's working through that. It's powerful. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Notice how we get these gifts. How do we get them? Did you go shopping in the Holy Spirit store and get to pick out the one you wanted? You know, that's the gift I've always, I've dreamed about having this gift in my life. Is that how it works? As each has received. You see the word there? It's a, it's a word. It's a passive reception of. It's not active. I'm not grabbing. You know, it's not like one of those things where you're grabbing in the, and going into the store and putting as much as in your cart. Remember that old, that old shopping show where you can put as much in your cart, you know, and people try to get as much. You know, all the meat stuff that's going to be more expensive. Well, that's a, it's not in my notes, believe me. That's a blast from the past. 
That's not the way this works, right? These gifts are given to us. In fact, Paul adds the Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. Hey, would you rather pick out the gift you think you'd like, or do you rather let the Spirit of the living God choose the gift that he wants you to have? Yeah, I'm going to go for that one. He picks out just the right one for you. And it is a gift. First of all, third, notice that each gift is given to each of us to use. To use. For what purpose? To serve one another. We, we use our spiritual gifts, and, and Jeremy even alluded to this in his prayer. We serve one another with our gifts. We don't have a gift to establish our identity. We don't have a gift to build a name for ourselves. We don't have a gift to, to establish our brand. <laughs> the, word, the word there is the verb form of the same word from which we get deacon. This is the verb form of deacon. And literally, if you just translate it literally, it means serve tables. This is a verb form that means serve tables. Maybe because the first deacons, I believe, that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 were given that job. Hey, the uh, Grecian widows here complaining, these widows who are Greek, they're not Jewish, but they're converted to Christianity. They're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The church was taking care of widows who had no other means of support. And, And the apostles came to the church and said, hey, Select men among yourselves who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, and good men, good men of character, and set them to this work. And so that's literally what it means. It means to serve tables. But of course, the broader sense is that it means to do anyone a service, no matter what the need happens to be. For, so, fourth, notice this is a stewardship issue. Peter goes on to say, hey, this is so we can be good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied, many colored, many variations. In other words, it's like the the rainbow. There's so many colors there and so many gifts that we don't all have the same. Thank God we're not all the same. We don't have, because the body would not be cared for if we all had the same gift. We'd just be competing with one another in the use of our gift and ignoring uh, people who have certain needs. You know, the word there for steward means house manager, someone who manages another's house for the good of the owner. So literally, Peter is saying, you steward a spiritual gift that belongs to God. It's not yours, it's God's, but he gave it to you, and he gives it to you for the common good of the people in the house who live in God's house who come to God's house and worship in God's house and leave this house and go in the world and and minister to the poor and the lost and and, and those who don't know Jesus. How How do we know what our gift is? Peter doesn't tell us, does he? I believe with all my heart that gifts are discovered as we serve others. When you hear of a need and you feel compelled to help meet that need, you may find your spiritual gift in the way that you meet that need. And I think that how you know your spiritual gift is that you find great joy in using that gift. And other people great, find great joy when you use that gift. They are benefited. They're blessed. They grow. They're ministered to. They feel joy in their hearts when you use your gift. 
Fifth, notice that Peter divides the spiritual gifts into two groups, speaking and serving. Neither is more important than the other. They're both essential to the health and life and strength of the body. Those who proclaim God's word in, in preaching or teaching or discipling or exhorting, this is not just limited to platform preaching. Those who speak to others in, a, in such a way that they grow and they're ministered to and they, and they move, they're edified, they're built up in their faith. Those are speaking gifts. And we don't preach ourselves, but Christ crucified. We don't speak in our own strength, but he says the oracles of God. We speak only in the ability that we're given by God. Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Peter said, I've determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. We preach Christ because we're in Christ. We don't preach ourselves. And as a result, Christ is seen and God's word is heard. I love Alistair Begg's quote. When God's word is truly preached, God's voice is clearly heard. What about those who serve? Again, they are just as important and necessary and essential to the health and flourishing of the local body of Christ. That's why God, the Holy Spirit, gave those gifts of service so that the body of Christ may flourish. These are not second-tier gifts. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you that if you have a gift of helps or you have a, a gift of organization or, or, or any other gift that, that is not preaching or teaching, that you are somehow lesser. I remember... Traveling with, uh, Cindy and I traveled with this couple years ago, and, and he felt he was, he was second to me because he didn't preach. Guy could sing the notes right off. I mean, he, 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 he blessed people with music in such a way, and encouragement. He was an encourager. He had that gift of exhortation. He loved people. People loved him. I said, brother, you've you got to think differently about this. He was from another Culture, and in that culture, it's the pastor who is elevated, almost worshipped, which is not ever good, elevated to, to prominence, and everybody else wanted to be that guy. I said, man, God made you the way he made you, and your gift is necessary and beautiful. So don't think of yourself in that way. So he, he says these are essential. But Clowney writes, Edmund Clowney says, Peter's exhortation is no less needed for service then for teaching, Christians may be more tempted to undertake acts of service in their own strength. Here's how you know maybe you're overusing your gift. Because <laughs> you're wearing people out in your family. Because all you're doing is going out and using your gift. And you're neglecting maybe the needs in your own household. Right? God's given us gifts. But he's also given us stewardship of a marriage, of children, of a household. And so the church is important, but so is the family. So we have to be careful that we're not ever doing those gifts, preaching, teaching, serving in any way uh, in the flesh. What's the, um, what's the end result of all these last day's labors? Sober-minded prayer, love, hospitality, serving and speaking as God's people. What's the end result? What's the whole point? What does Peter say? You see the verse? Let's read it together. Start with in order. 
in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then he, he, he's, there's a benediction here. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He said, hey, the end of all things is at hand. So don't crawl in a hole somewhere. Don't double down and just try to pile up cash. Don't hide in your house and just feed your flesh. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Love one another. Stretch yourself out in loving people in, your, in, in the body of Christ and, and others. Paul said do good to all, but especially those in the household of faith. And show hospitality and don't grumble about it. And know your gift and use your gift because that will bring God glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful this morning for uh, Peter again for his life and his service. And Lord, the way you inspired him to write down these instructions for not just the elect exiles then, but the elect exiles right here in this room and listening to the sound of my voice by way of the internet. We're thankful, God, that you've elected us, you've called us uh, as your people. And those whom you call, you are also in the process of conforming to your image. And those whom you call, you gift. You give them spiritual gifts, gifts, manifestations of the Spirit to be used for the pulling down of strongholds, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, for uh, assaulting the gates of hell with the gospel because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So, Lord, help us in, in our gifts and in our love and in our exhortations to one another uh, to be filled with your spirit and do all these things for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.